Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com stories to share your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Enjoy today's message. Help me welcome our online audience. Thank you so much for joining us. It's going to be a good one. And while we're at it, while we're clapping, why don't you go ahead and give a big hand for the choir and the praise and worship team this morning. So, so grateful for them. Well, uh, if you're with us today for the first time, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the pastors here at Meadowbrook, and it is a privilege today to, to be able to share the word with you. Um, how many of y'all, by chance, last week were here during third service? Do we have any people at third? Okay, so you might have heard the rumor that Pastor Tim made an appearance at, at third service. And uh, we had this whole thing planned out that I was going to get up, I was going to start talking, and then I had a specific line that I was going to say. And then he would come out of that side door over there, okay? So I'm up here, I have not said that line, and I start to see people looking that way and kind of losing their attention, and I look over and here comes dad walking out like this, (laughs) like he owns the place or something. And... uh, yeah, so he, he came out, greeted the church family, and then he, and then he sat, and, and we had an incredible morning. But I wanted to bring you up to speed. First of all, if he is surprising us today, then it'll be a surprise to me as well, because I have no key line or anything. So if, if I see you looking that way, I know he's, he's about to take the pulpit over. But I wanted to update you on um, some things with his progress on his healing. I told you all last week that he had two important appointments this last week, the first of which was a second opinion on his back. And for that, he was going to go and get some additional x-rays, have another doctor look at it to see if he could perhaps get into a smaller back brace or no back brace at all. And so as I shared this past Wednesday, that, that appointment went good, and he actually was downsized to a smaller brace. It, um, it, it's not near as awkward or uncomfortable. And so we're grateful for that, and he, um, he, he's a lot more at peace with that current brace. And then the other thing was that he was going in for an additional surgery on Wednesday morning for his, uh, for his wrist. Now what they were going to do is they're going to go in and take out the plate that they had put in there, do a carpal tunnel release on his tendons, and then clean out, clean out the scar tissue, and then sew him back up, outpatient. He was going to start uh, physical therapy the following day. So they went in, and they actually came out and told us, hey, we've pulled the plate out, but we're actually going to put one back in. And so at first we're like, well, that's a bummer, because we thought this was like a whole thing to accelerate his healing process. But what happened is they got in there, they said, this is not a bad thing, that the bone looks good to just heal on its own. But because of the therapy he needs, the degree of therapy, it's not stable enough for us to start that right away. And we want to be aggressive in that therapy. So they took that plate out, did the, the release surgery on his tendons, cleaned out the scar tissue, put a new plate in, and he was home within a few hours. Um, he started therapy the next day, and he's already able to move it in ways he hasn't in like almost two months. He's got feeling back in his fingers and just starting to make progress that they were wanting to see. So we are grateful for that. And so be praying for him continually. His, his return is, is near, uh, but today I'm here. And uh, I'm excited about what God's put on my heart. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited about this new series we're in. How many of y'all know what series we're in? The Missing Piece, and that's a play on words, P-E-A-C-E. You know, we don't have to look very far to realize that our world is lacking peace in a lot of ways. I mean, just look at the the current events of of this week around the world. Look at headlines, go online, turn on the TV. It's, It's a dark world we live in, and 
And I believe that there is a, a, a level of peace available to us that throughout this series we're going to discover is not just something we can have, that's good enough, but it's, it's something we also that we can keep, how we can have and keep peace on an ongoing basis in our life. Now, I read something recently that said in the last 3,100 years of our Earth's history, 286 of those were years where wars were not fought. 286 out of 3,100. That's 8%. And that, that, that's kind of an indicator that there's maybe uh, we, we have a long way to go in regards to world peace. In that time, 8,000 treaties have been broken. Um, take it back from, from talking about war. Let's just look at our lives and, and you know, depression and, and divorce and, and, and poverty and, and suicide rates. And all these things are, are, are so high in, in the world we live. And I think it's a direct result, a direct correlation that people are missing peace and they, they don't know where, where to find it. They don't know to, how they can have it or keep it. But the good news is that the church at large, Jesus' church, the local church, I, I believe, believers all over the world are, are discovering that there's a peace that God has made available to us. Specifically here, our, our mission statement is to help people find peace on earth and transforming lives by the gospel of Christ. That, that peace is not just a far-off idea, it's not just something available once we get to heaven, but it's something we can have now. And then as a, as a, as a family, new believers, old believers, every background, every demographic, we can then walk out a life of peace as we allow the truths of the gospel to transform us. And, and that is why we exist, and that's, that's the journey that we invite all of you on with us as a church. But not to recap all of last week, if you were here go back and listen to it again. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it again because I, I shared a message called Peace in the Knowing. Really, I was talking about peace with God. If, if you're not at peace with God, you're never going to have peace in this world. That's Peace 101. He is, he is our source. And so last week was very fundamental. We're, I'm going to recap just a few things here. I laid out a peace for you that is probably different than, than the peace that, that man is looking for. It's, it's not circumstantial. Jesus shared with his disciples around the the Last Supper, what was going to come in the days that followed. And that as a result of his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the coming of the Spirit, that would make available a new, as the Hebrew puts it, shalom peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It's not based on circumstances, but it's based on relationship. There's a, a completeness in that type of peace. And so if that is the type of peace that, that we are after, no one can take that from us. No, no circumstance can, can steal that from us. Having peace is a decision that we make. So therefore, when we don't have peace, it really is an act of self. We either have been looking for our peace in the wrong ways, or we have surrendered it. I'll, I'll be honest. There's, there's been times in my life where I, I know my source. I, I know what the Bible has to say on peace, but yet I have accepted my circumstances, and I've accepted my emotions, and I've voluntarily surrendered my peace. You, you probably can relate to that. And so today I want to share a message with you entitled, Peace with Myself. Peace with Myself. How many of y'all could be a little more at peace with yourself? Come on, every hand in this place. Last week was peace with God, and if, if I'm not at peace with God, I'm not going to be at peace with myself. And if I'm not at peace with myself, I'm not going to enjoy this life. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to enjoy the life that, that I've been given to live. I, I want to live peaceably with God and with myself and, and with others, and it's all connected. And so... Just being uh, transparent, you know, in my life, I can look back on, on times that may have been the most challenging times in the natural, things that were going on around me, things that happened to me, and those situations were bad enough on their own, but because of my thinking 
or what I was believing at the time or the state of my soul, my, my outlook, my heart, all those things, I compounded the severity of that situation. I wasn't looking at it the right way. And, and y'all know this is a battlefield right here. Pastor Haran, he, this last week when he was teaching, he said the eight inches between our ears, I thought it was four inches. But he does have a rather large head, but either way, there's a battlefield. And, I, and, and a lot of times we make stuff worse in our life simply by what's going on through here or what we're believing in here. It's been said that how you think affects how you live, right? The, the things that you think affect how you speak, how you, how you act in this life. Uh, your outlook affects your outcome. Uh, Pastor Haran, in that message, it, it was titled, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life. This is, this is very true, that what we believe and what we think affects our lives. But here's the deal. I'm not taking away from the truth of those statements, but we are emotional beings. We are emotional beings. We feel deeply and it is, studies have shown that our emotions travel 80,000 times faster than our ability to form a thought. 80,000 times. If you had told me that my emotions traveled twice as fast as my ability to form a thought, I would still be like, whoa, that's, that's not good. <laughs> but 80,000 times faster. That's why when adversity comes or the unexpected happens or a tragedy takes place in our life, we often react because emotions are what come to the surface. We're feeling all these things, panic and anxiety and worry and fear. And so we react from a place of emotion before we ever even have the chance to form a thought and respond from a place of truth, from a foundation of peace. You see, we don't accidentally end up at a place of peace. It's, it's a result of intentional effort. It's, it's a result of, it's really a learned behavior. It's, it's, it's a result of spiritual disciplines. And so, yes, while we are emotional beings who often react, we can get to a place where even though our circumstances, our emotions are negative, we can respond from what we know to be true. We can respond from a place of peace. Anxiety, panic, fear, any negative emotion, they're automatic. They're, they're instinctual. Those are, those are things that, that we feel. And, and that's okay. And there's no fault in feeling them, but I believe the error, really the danger, takes place when we accept those negative emotions. When you accept those negative emotions, you accept those negative circumstances, what was initially just to be a temporary reaction becomes your state of being. It becomes your reality, because you just say, well, I guess this is how it is. And you're not thinking logically. You're not thinking from a place of truth or from a place of, of peace. And when we accept negativity, really it creates more negativity. When you accept the negativity around you, it breeds further negativity within you. It affects your soul. It affects your heart. It affects your thinking. And as a result, it leads us to a place where we are missing peace. Now, if we're going to understand the way we feel, the way we think, the way we're to live, if we're going to understand what peace really is and what God's design is, who else should we listen to, to what they have to say on this subject than Jesus, right? I've, I've heard he, he kind of knows what he's talking about. And, and I think we can look at the red letters in Scripture and we can look at the, the three years just that he established his ministry and see that he had more to say on the issues of the heart and, and the issues we face in this life than, than anyone else we've ever seen. And so let's, let's go to the scriptures. Open your Bible with me to Matthew 5. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 5. And this is uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And we're going to look at what are called the Beatitudes. Now the Beatitudes, this is where Jesus is proposing what it means to be blessed. But he does so 
using paradox, meaning that he's making a, a statement that kind of contradicts itself. He says, you are blessed when you dot, 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 and he fills in the blanks, and we'll see this just in a second. And the way he spells it out is a lot different than the way our world thinks. It's not what all of us maybe would equate what it means to be blessed with. But that's the cool thing about Jesus, is he brought about a kingdom that doesn't operate on the same principles as this world in which we live. And so let's, let's look at what he has to say. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when when people persecute you, when they revile you, when they say things against you. I don't know about you, but I don't equate that with with what it means to be blessed or, or, or poor or hungry, that those things... Uh, equate to, to blessedness, but Jesus really spells it out there for us. And you probably kind of, verse 9 stuck out to you, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, we're talking about peace, and, and th- there's peace. But what I, what I kind of got hung up on was the verse prior to that, verse 8, says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think when you're studying scripture, maybe it's just a verse, maybe it's even just a word, it's important to not just read it and then check it off your list, but to read it and reread it and read it again and look at it in other translations and, and, and get a Bible commentary and look at the context it was written and, and look at the original language, the Greek or the Hebrew, and see, see what, what is being said. And so, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I, I started reading it in a few different translations, and in the message it says it this way. Again, it's Jesus. He says, you're blessed when... You get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. When you get your mind and your heart put right, then you'll see God in the outside world. When everything that's in here, this battlefield, is in order, then you can live at peace. You see how God is at work. When we're emotional beings, this is good news because he's saying what's going on inside, the health, the state of your, your, your inside, that, that's important. And once that's put right you can experience a level of peace. The Greek word for heart here is cardia, and it, it means one's inner self, really, which it's talking about the soul. Talking about our soul, the, the birthplace of our emotions. In essence, Jesus is saying our ability to have peace within ourself is directly determined by what's going on inside here. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the way you think and, and believe and feel that those things are important and directly are correlated with your level of self-peace? What Jesus is saying is absolutely fundamental. It's absolutely foundational. And I believe that in life, there are things that have happened to all of us that we've just accepted. We've accepted those circumstances. We've accepted the feelings that followed. And as a result, it has damaged what's on the inside and it has brought us to a lower place of peace. We're not experiencing the type of peace that has been promised to us. And so I want to give you three things today that I think all of us need to do. Maybe one of these applies to you. Maybe all three. I don't know. But just bear with me. And 
we, we can't control the things that, that go on in our life. We, we can't control what happens to us. However, get this, we can control how we respond to what happens to us. You can't control what people say, what people do, what happens, but you can control how you respond to what happens around you. And so the first point today is forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Say that. Forgive yourself. There's some of you here today who, because of something you've done in the past, or maybe it was even something that was done to you, but for some wrong way of thinking, you believe that you somehow deserved it, you have not forgiven yourself of things that are in your past. We, we all have a past. Your past is anything that happened up until this point. So maybe there's things in your past that you regret or you haven't forgiven yourself of. It could be 20 years ago. It could be yesterday. But needless to say, it's behind you, and you don't like to revisit that. I have things in my life I don't want to revisit. I have things in my life that I haven't, or, or at times, struggled to not forgive myself with. You know, growing up as a teenager, I was, I was insecure. Aren't, aren't we all at that age? It's, it's a time of, of, of you're so formidable and, and just so awkward and, and just emotions and, and um, hormones and everything else. And sometimes, as you're finding who you are in those years, you, you do things that you look back and you're like, why did I ever do that? And so for me, there was years where I couldn't forgive myself of the way I treated some of the people closest to me. Some of my best friends. I said things to them out of my own insecurity that hurt them, and it wasn't my heart, but I know that it probably damaged them or wounded them. And I had many years where I would think back and people I'd lost touch with or didn't know where they were at, and I wish I could just make those things right. I was struggling to forgive myself of that. Even my own wife. We're married now, so it's all good. It's all under the blood. But there were things I said to her in high school out of insecurity, not because I really wanted to hurt her. And I don't know what those things for you could be, the things that you're struggling to forgive yourself of. But there's two wrong ways that a lot of us deal with our past. The first one, the first error, is that we try to deal with our past by forgetting our past. If I can just forget it, act like it didn't happen, then I can move on. But here's the, the error in that. What is only forgotten is not healed, and what is unhealed is still beneath the surface. It's still there. Uh, you may have other people fooled. There may be other people who don't know what happened in your past, and that's okay, but you're the one person that you never get away from. You go to bed with you. You wake up with you. You drive with you, eat with you. You're always with you, and so you know your past. You, you know your history. You know the things you're struggling with. You know the thoughts. You know the battlefield between your four-inch or your eight-inch ears. And so that's why many of us, if we have an unaddressed thing from our past, we have allowed it to really plug us on a daily basis. We think we've forgotten it, but it's still there right beneath the surface. Henry Nouwen says, forgetting the past is like turning your most intimate teacher against you. By refusing to face your painful memory, you miss the opportunity to change your heart, to change your cardia, to change your inner self, your soul, the birthplace of your emotion. If we want healing in our soul, if we want to experience self-peace, we have to be willing to look at some things in our past and not just forget them, but make ourselves available to the healing that Christ brings. Andy Stanley says, if you make, or you make peace with your past by owning your peace of your past. You make peace with your past by owning your peace of your past. Not that you relive it, not that you let that label you, but that you're at least bold enough to acknowledge it, that it happened, and lay it before the feet of Jesus. Receive the healing that he has. Realize he's forgiven you. Forgive yourself and move on to a place of self-peace. The second thing we do is this. We let our past define us. 
We, we, we let one season of our life or, or one memory or one thing we did, we let that be the thing that defines us and decide or dictate what our future looks like going forward. But I, I believe that one play doesn't decide a game. Now, that may, may be debatable. There may be some of you willing to argue with me on that because we've all seen the, the, the buzzer beater that sends the college team to the Final Four. We've seen that, that, that play in a baseball game that totally changed the momentum and that team turn around to win it. Uh, maybe a more recent event would be last Sunday between the Seattle Seahawks and the Minnesota Vikings. It was the most watched wild card game in the history of the NFL. And heading into the fourth quarter, the Seahawks were up 10-9. to or I'm sorry, heading into the fourth, they were down 9-0, to and then they scored 10 points. So it's 10-9, to about a minute left. I think the Vikings were 20-something yards out, 27, something like that. Um, here's the deal. I, I could make a field goal from 27 yards, you know? I don't know about negative 25 degrees. It's, it's debatable. But their kicker up until that point was 3-for-3 three three on field goals. And in his career, I think the stat was he was 32 for 33 from that same range. So the odds are in their favor. Well, he kicks it wide left. He misses it and, it, and they lose the game. And people will say, well, that was the moment that defined the game. And, and maybe that's what we remember, but ultimately the outcome of a game is the sum total of a series of opportunities either missed or taken advantage of. Had things played out different before, that could have changed the outcome of the game. And I'm sorry that I'm using this as an illustration. It might be a sore subject for some of you Vikings fans. So while we're on it, I'm just going to go ahead and get it out there. If you can see those. <laughs> Guys, Jesus loves Russell Wilson, okay? These are my Seattle Seahawks. And I will be rushing out of here at the third service to get home for the game to watch them beat the Panthers, but that's neither here nor there. I say that to say that one thing from your past doesn't define who you are. One play doesn't decide or dictate who you're going to be the rest of your life, because while the world puts its labels on you, while we're in the business of labeling ourselves and labeling others, God is in the business of changing your name. It's scriptural. I don't, I don't care what happened in your past. He wants to change your name. Abram was fatherless, and God changed his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. Jacob was deceiver, and God changed his name to Israel, God's chosen people. Simon, he was a frightened, skittish disciple, and God changed his name to Peter, who Jesus referred to as the rock. Saul, he was a Christian killer. He persecuted Christians, and then through an incredible series of events, turned his life around. And, and his na name was changed to Paul and went on to be the, one of the greatest apostles ever and, and write over half the New Testament and help go about establishing the local church throughout the world. I don't care what has happened in your past, whether it was a season, whether it was one thing you did, something that was done for you. Forgive yourself. Don't let that thing define you. Allow God to heal you from that. And while people look at what you've done, God sees you for what you're going to do. He sees you for what you were created to do. And this is the big point right here. Don't lose your peace over what you've done. Keep it because of what he's done. Amen? Amen? Don't lose your peace over something you've done or something that was done to you. Let it go. Receive healing. Keep it because of what he's done. So we got to forgive ourselves. Number two, we need to learn to accept ourselves. Accept yourself. Let's be honest, we all deal with insecurity or self-worth at times. We all have things where we feel like we've come up short and kind of our default is to drift into this behavior where um, 
it's almost like we, we are operating out of condemnation, and, and, and everything is, is based on our behavior, our performance, our works, and, and when we miss the mark, then we come down hard on ourselves, and that is a, a flawed way of living. That is totally against grace. That's totally against God's design, and for many of us, I think that results, uh, really, really what it is, it's a, it's a skewed view of God as our Father. Many of you have a, maybe have had a, a bad relationship with your earthly father. You never could live up to his expectations. He never told you he loved you. He never told you he accepted you. You could never do right in his eyes. And as a result, that has conditioned you and your view of God. And you feel the same way about God that I missed the mark. I messed up again. I'm not a perfect Christian. And somehow that you're, you have not performed well enough to have his acceptance. But I want, what I want you to know is that if you don't believe God accepts you, you won't accept yourself. And if you don't accept yourself, really that's going to turn how you treat others. You're not going to accept others. We have to believe that God loves us. God approves of us. God accepts us. He accepts you. So what business do you have going around beating up on yourself and not accepting yourself? You see, Christ comes to give us a new identity. We were created in his image. We are heirs to his throne. Jesus has made us new. And just because we don't always perform well, that doesn't change our identity. My, my son, Gavin, he's my firstborn. Gavin Lee Gilligan He's my oldest. He, he looks like me. And even though he doesn't act the way I act, he does act how I used to act. I guess I'm reaping a harvest there. But just because he doesn't act the way I act or, or would, for I, I would always choose for him to act, it doesn't change the fact that he's my son. It doesn't change his identity. It doesn't change the fact that I see a bright future for him. I'm committed to him. I will walk through this life helping him. I accept him because he has my identity. I am Timothy Lee Gilligan Jr. I don't always act the way Timothy Lee Gilligan Sr. acted. Maybe he tells stories about him when he was young. You know, all the Gilligan men were very similar when we were younger. Like to talk in class, like to be the, the, the clown. And I see how that's playing out, but... I say that to say just because I haven't always lived up to maybe the way my dad wanted me to at the time, he still accepts me. He still loved me. It didn't change my identity. And that's how Father God looks at you. He accepts you. He loves you. He approves at you. And in, instead of looking at everything wrong with you, how about we stop that because that steals our attention from him. And let's just look at everything that's right with him. Instead of pursuing self-confidence, let's realize that our confidence comes from who we are in Christ. Here's the point. Be at peace with yourself in light of who God is transforming you to become. Don't get your peace based on something you've done, based on who you are, based on your performance. Be at peace with yourself in light of who God is transforming you to become. You bear his identity and he is proud of you. So we got to forgive ourselves. We have to accept ourselves. And third and final thing, I believe we have to prepare ourselves. Prepare yourself. There is an epidemic amongst us, especially in, in younger generations, of haphazard living. Going through this life, sitting on the sidelines of your own life, kind of watching it play out before you. No real goals, no, no real dreams or ambitions or anything we're shooting for. And because of that, a lot of people haven't made preparations, and so they do just like I said at the beginning. They go around reacting and emotion to the things that happen in life. It's, it's, a, it's a dangerous place to be. Proverbs talks about the complacency of fools and how it destroys them. And, and, and we can't afford to go through this life just reacting to our circumstances. We have to make some preparations. 
And, that's, and I'm talking about the, the foundations of God's word. Uh, peace with God so that I can be at peace with myself and respond in peace to the things around me. When we lived in Texas last year, I didn't really realize that Texas can get cold, especially like in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so one, one particular day I got up, it was cold. I had a coat, but I, I didn't foresee a winter storm or anything. And so I go to work, and um, I get there, and I look out the window where my desk was facing, and, and I could see flurries. I'm like, oh, cool, you know, the Florida boy. I'm getting all excited about that. So flurries start falling. Well, over the next couple hours, like, it's, just, it's piling. It's piling. It's getting thicker and thicker. And I'm starting to think about this. Okay, I'll have a half-hour commute when there's no traffic. But when the roads are slammed and covered in snow, like those people, they don't know how to drive in ice or snow because they're not used to it. It's, it's kind of just a, a rare occasion. And so schools were letting out, other workplaces were closing, and I can see out on the main drag all these cars, and they're just moving so slowly. I'm like, I'm never going to get home. I'm going to spend the night in this office. And so I go outside. I have this thin coat. I'm freezing. I'm not prepared. My Honda Civic has, like, this much snow sitting on the windshield. And I have this little piece of cardboard from my trunk, and I'm, like, trying to, like, flip it off. And it's getting soggy, and just like, I, I had no preparations. Then I get in my car, and I have like a quarter tank of gas, and I'm thinking, well, th- that sh- if my normal commute, that should last, but if I'm just like sitting there idling for two hours, you know, thankfully I got home, thankfully I had the one snow day in my history with my kids, but I say that to say we can't afford to live haphazardly just reacting. We have to have some preparations. Haphazard living is reactive living out of emotion, but prepared Intentional living is all about being proactive. We respond out of what we know to be true, and therefore we can respond in peace. Intentional growth, or intentionality produces personal growth, and it's our personal growth today that ensures tomorrow can get better. If I am being intentional today, if I am being prepared with God's help, I will learn from today, and whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be stronger because of it. You believe that? Intentionality produces personal growth. We should all be going like this. I don't want us plateauing or declining. We need to be a people of intentional, proactive living. Because intentionality doesn't just help us balance the day-to-day, but it's what leads us or really uh, catapults us into our future. And I can say that my dad is the most intentional, prepared, disciplined person that I have ever met. What you see is what you get. He's up hours before everyone else is spending time with God. He doesn't just preach margin. He, he lives margin. He doesn't uh, d- just talk about peace, but he fights for his peace. And at times we've called him the martyr for peace because he's quicker to fall on his sword and admit he's wrong for the sake of peace. That, 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 you know what I mean? Like he's, he's all about it. Every, my whole life, every time he leaves his house and comes back to his house, he says, peace to this house. He has been such an example for me of intentional, prepared living. And I'm grateful for that example because what happens up here, when he gets up here, he's not winging it. It's not haphazard, like, uh, I'm going to wake up and i got to preach today, so I'll react out of emotion and see if I can come up with something to say. No, it's a result of intentionality and prepared living with God's help. Peace doesn't just happen. It's a result of intentionality. Let's be an intentional, prepared people. So we got to forgive ourselves. We have to accept ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves. But ultimately, I want to get back kind of where we started. And as we prepare to close, let's look at this. Talking about our emotions. Talking about the inside, talking about our heart and how, how we react. There's a story in the book of Esther. Esther essentially had won this beauty pageant, if you will. She found favor with the king. She is Queen Esther, but her, her uncle, Mordecai, he's more of a common man, and there's a p- point where he is ordered to bow before the king's advisors, particularly one named Haman. He refuses to do so, and as a result, he's ordered to be put to death. Then, to make things worse, the king gives permission to the advisors 
to go ahead and slaughter the whole Jewish nation. Kind of a big deal. And, and so Mordecai, who knows better, rather than responding from what he knows to be true, he reacts really out of a place of fear and out of a place of emotion. Let's pick up in Esther uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. It says, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay there in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came, to t- came and told her, the queen was distressed. So get this. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he may take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. And you say, what does that have to do with this? I believe that the work of Jesus, the, 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 the purpose of the Spirit is to bring us a garment of peace. That garment is made available, but so often what we do, like Mordecai, is we react out of fear. We react out of anxiety to, to the negativity of our circumstances. Those emotions are the first thing we feel, and so we put on our sackcloth and our ashes, and we, we have this wardrobe, this garment of peace that's been extended to us, but we refuse to put it on. We parade around in this, this garment of pain and this garment of emotion, and that's not how God designed. Proverbs 4.23 says, To keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your soul with all vigilance. The same God who created our souls has given us a strict charge to watch over and to keep our souls, for from it flow all the things that affect our ability to have peace with ourself. To be at peace with yourself, you must guard your heart. Yes, you got to forgive yourself, accept yourself, prepare yourself, guard against the things that would come in and, and, and you, you would wrestle with accepting those things as your reality. Learn to get to a place where you can respond from what you know to be true. That if you have peace with God, you can be at peace with yourself and respond in that peace no matter what comes your way. To be at peace with yourself, you must guard your heart. Did you get anything out of this today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.